0: Welcome to the MBA Insider Podcast. My name is Al D. I'm the host of the MBA Insider Podcast and the founder of MBA Schooled. Today, I'm excited because I am here today with Maya Grossman, who is the author of her book, Invaluable, Master the Skills You Need to Skyrocket Your Career. She's also the brand new VP of Marketing at Jumpstart and... Today, I'm going to talk about a topic that I think is really important for MBA students, and that's this topic of career development. Um, This is something that MBA students are naturally thinking about as they go through their own kind of career journey. But something that I feel like is under kind of thought about or under invested in is actually thinking more holistically about what are the tools that you need to be successful in your career, particularly once you graduate from business school. And I really am glad that Maya's here is because I know that she's been thinking about this for a very long time. And a lot of that is not only in her book, but in what she actually practices herself and what she works on with many of the folks that she preaches to. So really glad to have her here today. So Maya, thank you so much for joining me. Before we talk and get into career development, I always love starting off with a warm-up question. And given that you're an author of a book on careers, I had to ask you, what was your first job?
1: Yeah. First of all, thank you so much for having me. My first job, I actually worked at Burger King when I was 16. So I guess that qualifies. Oh, I haven't thought about that in a really long time.
0: That's that's awesome. Did I'm assuming you got free food or some sort of thing with that. Is that fair to assume or how did that all work out?
1: I did. I think we got a meal for every eight hours okay. uh, we put in, but I got so sick of burgers. I just took them home to my family.
0: Okay. Uh, I, your fa- I'm sure your family appreciated the free the free burgers. I, I worked at a golf course, so a little bit different, but they, rec- many golf courses, there was a, uh, a restaurant. And so we also would get free meals and similar thing. For every shift, you would get like one free meal and- I did not ever get sick of chicken fingers and fries. So therefore (laughs) I did eat quite a few. Fortunately, when, for me, at least when I was 16 or 17, my body was a little bit more okay with that than it is now. So it was good while it lasted, but I don't think I would be able to do that again and not put on a few pounds. So fortunately (laughs) I found a different job and a different career. Anyway, thank you for sharing that. And again, thank you so much for being here. We'd love for you to maybe just start. And I think I read about this both in your book, but also I think maybe on another, another uh, interview that you did. Tell me about your first job after you graduated with your bachelor's degree. How did you, you're you're VP of marketing now, but how did you originally get started within marketing?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So I actually didn't start my career in marketing. I knew that I'm going to have to work full-time to put myself through college. So I took a job, the first job that was available, and I worked as a travel agent. And because the company was great, the people were great, I stayed there for almost seven years, not because it was my dream, not because I could see a future there, just because it was very convenient. And during my time there, I actually did my bachelor's and I majored in finance and marketing, really hated finance, fell in love with marketing and decided that I have to figure out how to make that my career. How do I actually transition into marketing? I didn't know anyone who was actually a marketer, so I just Googled it and what i realized is that there's this new thing this new marketing discipline and it's called social media this is how old i am this is when facebook and twitter launched and it just seemed so exciting so i decided to educate myself i read everything i could find online to learn what social media is and how to use it i created my own profiles but that wasn't enough so i went back to the travel agency And I asked my manager if I could open a Facebook page for the company. And I told them, I'll do it on my spare time. I just really want to learn. And I think it will help us get more clients. So for six months, that's what I did. I created content. I opened the page. I engaged with people and really learned how to do social media. And then at that point, I felt comfortable enough to actually apply for this type of roles. And I landed my first marketing job.
0: That's great. You bring back fond memories to those days of when people were still trying to make sense of how do we use this Facebook thing or how do we use this Twitter (laughs) thing? But I also think that also speaks to the great reason why it was great that you did take the initiative. A lot of times the opportunities that arise are using tools or technologies that we don't know what they're going to do, or we don't know how they're going to evolve or that back then, we never knew that there was going to be a whole profession around social media management. And those job descriptions were not job descriptions because they didn't you know exist at the time. And, and look where we are today. So I, I think it's great that you had uh, the foresight to follow your curiosity. And certainly it led uh, to other opportunities down the road. Okay, so great. So you didn't initially start in marketing, but you eventually got into it. Now you're an author of a book. So I'm sure there was a lot of learning that went into that First job in real marketing, and then you've done stints at Microsoft and Google and a couple other places. So I'm curious, what led you to writing the book, or what from those experiences working at some of those companies? Uh, because I presume that you know, some of those ideas for the book really came from from the from those experiences. So could you talk to us about some of those experiences and what you learned from them to help you write this book?
1: Yeah, of course. So the idea to write the book. I think I always knew I wanted to write a book, but I never really figured out what it would be about. I had this task on my task list for years and every year at the end of the year, I just pushed it to the next year and completely ignored it. And about a year ago, I was doing consulting for Google. And I had three different people reach out to me and ask for career advice. And they asked me the exact same questions and I was giving them the exact same answers. And then I had this aha moment of maybe I should write this down. And if I write it down, I can share it with more people. So writing specific advice turned into this whole book. And the reason is I sat down and I started asking myself, how did I get here? Because I look at people who started the same level as I did. And they're not doing what I'm doing right now. They're stuck. They're still doing the same work that I did 10 or 15 years ago. What did I do differently? And the more I thought about it, the more I realized it's not just about my marketing skills. It's not just about understanding the technology. It's actually about soft skills. It's how I interact with people. It's how I read situations, how I create my own opportunities, like the example I already shared, so that I can actually grow and expand my skills and my experiences. And that's how the idea started. But when you look at the book, and if you see all the examples that I share, they all come from 15 years of experience from that work in the travel agency, all the way up to being a VP of marketing and still making some mistakes and still not being able to do everything by the book, but learning from that experience and learning how to improve.
0: One of the things I'm just curious about also just being an author is just the name of the book. A lot of people have different ways in which they think about that different uh, meetings behind it. So for you, what is the name? What is the kind of the, the process you came up for the name invaluable or what does it signify?
1: So this is a funny story. A while back, my manager at Microsoft, I was about to leave and I asked him if he would be one of my referrals and I wanted to make sure that he's gonna say the right thing. So I asked him, if you were to describe me, how would you call me? What would you say to people? And he said, I only need one word, exceptional. And that stuck in my head for years. And originally that was supposed to be the name of the book, Exceptional. But when I started testing it with people, they didn't immediately connect exceptional to the workforce and what it would be like to be a high performer. And every time that I had to explain it, I said, it's like being an invaluable employee. And after using it enough times, I realized, hey, that's actually a much better word. Why don't I use that?
0: I like that. Uh, I like, and I like how you backed into the name of the book just by just trying to qualify and explain it to someone and using that phrase. So that I think that's, I think that's awesome. So a couple other things that just came to mind as you were talking about this, number one. I love the idea of. After I've been getting this question so many times, I realized that you know I needed to do something about this, right? And to, I often think that questions can often be really great indicators of opportunities for us, either to solve problems or, in this case, find solutions that. Are scalable, right? And and being able to share that, and particularly if you're getting the same question from different people, I think that's a really great insight and great piece of data to do something with. So I, I love how you uh, came up with that because when I when I started my website MBA schooled, it was really meant to answer the question of what is business school actually like. And having gotten that question so many times from my friends and family who didn't go to business school, I finally was like. I'm sick and tired of answering this question over and over again. I need to find a scalable way to answer it. And also, if you all are answering this, question asking this question, I'm sure some other people are probably asking it as well. So I love that piece from it. But the other thing I wanted to latch onto was the fact that you had mentioned that a number of different people were coming to you asking you questions about careers and just career advice in general. I would be love to know clearly. This is a top topic and a pain point, right? Because you're getting these questions and certainly you're not the only one that's getting these questions. There's lots of people that are getting these questions. There are billion dollar companies that are devoted to finding, helping people find jobs. There are lots of other companies and lots of career coaches that are out there. So what I guess I'm wondering is what do people you know, get wrong about career development, right? Or what do they get tripped up with? Because clearly it is something that people care a lot about. Just like you're getting a lot of questions. So is everyone else. What is so difficult about this topic?
1: Yeah, honestly, I think the biggest misconception when it comes to career development is that you need to wait for someone else or you need Mm -hmm. permission or you need support, but that's not the case. You can own your career development end to end. You don't need a company. You don't need a manager. You don't need anyone else but yourself.
0: Yeah, I love that. It reminds me, which is a good segue, in the book, you talk about this idea of an owner's mentality. And so could you share a little bit more about that or maybe an example either that you've seen or maybe from your own experience where you really brought this to life?
1: Yeah, here's the thing, though. If you own your career development, then it's really on you to figure out how to create opportunities for yourself. And what I talk about in the book is that it starts with a shift in mindset. You have to stop thinking within the limits of your job description and really start believing that your role is not just to do what it says on your job description. It's to help the company be more successful in any way you can. And when you open up to this understanding, then it's a lot easier to start thinking like an owner. So always thinking about how to optimize for the company's benefit, not just for your own, not just for the role that you need to do. And I think a lot of people get it wrong. The minute they hear owner's mindset, they think, hey, you want us to work 24 seven, but that's not the case. It's just about having the ability to navigate between the 30,000 foot view and the day-to-day and constantly make better decisions.
0: I think that's a really great point, and just to follow up on that, how do you then tease out this in this the kind of nuance in the sense of how do I reconcile using an owner's mentality and making the company successful with making myself successful in achieving you know what I want out of this? Because yes, like I because I agree with you, right? We work for a company for those of us who work for a company, like they are we work for them, but at the same time, we also all in theory, have our own kind of goals or our own things that we want. And so how do you find that way to kind of work between the company who gets your paycheck every two weeks with the things that you may want for yourself?
1: Yeah, this is where opportunity digging comes into play. And mm-hmm. it's another chapter in the book. This is where you sit down and actually think about the type of opportunities you wanna create for yourself. So what type of skills you actually wanna develop, what type of experiences you're missing to get to the next level. And when you have that clarity about what you're trying to achieve, that's when you go back and figure out, okay, what problems can I solve that will actually give me the skills that I need? How can I benefit the company while learning and doing something that benefits me now 80% of the time you're probably going to be able to do that and 20% of your time you'll invest in the company and maybe you don't get Mm -hmm. everything you need out of it but you still build that reputation of a high achiever And let me give you an example very early in my career when I worked for that social media agency it was a small company we were just five or six people and we were growing rapidly and things were falling apart. We had too many clients, not enough people, and no one was really picking up the slack. And it really bugged me because I love the company, I love the people, and I wanted to do something about it. So I I sat down, I thought about it, and I put down a list. I call it a plan, it wasn't a plan, it was a Word doc with five bullet points. Here's what we need to do. And I went to the company founder and I told him, hey, you have a problem. We have too many clients, not enough people. So I think you need to hire a manager and really help us create some standards and documentation and blah, blah, blah. And he looked at me, he was so excited. He said, you know what? You're absolutely right. You're the new manager. Now I didn't plan for this to happen, but I also didn't have anything special about me. Anyone at that company at that time could have done exactly the same thing, but this is where you see an opportunity. And you use the skills that you have to gain the skills that you want just by being proactive, just by thinking outside of your own job description and trying to do something that will actually benefit the company.
0: What was that experience like getting thrown, being like, Congratulations, this is a great idea. Now go do it. Did you like, how did you navigate that in terms of it? Sounds like, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, it wasn't necessarily like you were expecting to be the one to do this or maybe even prepared to then go and execute it. And so, How did you work through that?
1: I definitely wasn't expecting it and probably wasn't 100% prepared, but that's the beauty of growing as a professional. This is why I never take a job that I'm 100% qualified to do. You always want to have that little bit of stretch that will force you to get out of your comfort zone and grow. I'm pretty sure I was overwhelmed the first day or two but then I just decided I'm going to figure it out. I know how to do research. I can find people who have done this before and get their advice and I'll just make it happen. And so I did.
0: Yeah. they And so part of the reason why I wanted you to share that story is because number one, it clearly worked out because you wouldn't be here if it didn't. But one of the kind of interesting paradoxes, at least I found, particularly with MBA students, particularly once who go to top institutions is that they wouldn't have gotten into a top MBA program or top institution if they were not necessarily successful or hardworking or able to execute. But that's part of the reason why they are there. Um, But many of them are using their time in business school to um, transition into a new role or a new function or a new industry. And so it's not necessarily like they're starting from zero, but in many cases, they are moving into something where it is unfamiliar territory. And I think So many of them, and myself, I put myself in the same bucket because I certainly know I felt this way, but there is that moment or a prolonged period of imposter syndrome in the sense that yes, you are successful and you wouldn't have gotten here without being successful, but now you are faced with entering this new role or this new industry or this new function where you wonder, will I still continue to be successful? Or am I cut out for this? Or I don't have any of the credentials that to be a consultant or to be a, brand manager to be whatever, can I actually make the leap? And so I think it's just a paradox I've often found and clearly you've been able to navigate it, but I'm just curious of either what you've seen or just what you've lived through in terms of managing that.
1: Well, I have to say imposter syndrome never goes away. Mm -hmm. At least for me, I just started a new role as the VP of marketing. I've been a VP of marketing before, and still this is a little bit different. And some part of me says, you've never done that thing exactly before. How are you going to figure it out? Here's the answer. I remind myself of everything that I was able to figure out to date. And it doesn't matter if you have 15 years of experience like me or three. If you look back at everything you achieved in your life, you had to figure it out. Even going through an MBA, you didn't know what to do when you started.
0: Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's a great mindset. So it's, I think two things. One, it's what you just said, right? Remembering that you have a toolkit of tools and experiences that you dug into before and you can still go back into. But I do think some of it is the mindset approach. And it sounds like there's a little bit of new in terms of what you were saying in terms of wanting to be challenged and and, and not wanting to be in a role where you knew exactly how to do every single thing. And so leaning into that curiosity and leaning into that um, mindset of exploration, I think perhaps can maybe limit some of those thoughts around imposter syndrome or not feeling like you measure up or worrying about perhaps not necessarily having all the experiences that to do a specific thing. I think that might be helpful.
1: And if that doesn't work, I have another trick for you. Okay, It's actually a little bit weird. So what I like to do to feel a little more confident in my ability, I go to LinkedIn and I look for people who are doing this role that I'm about to take on. And I start looking at their background. And I don't stop until I find someone who either have a very similar background to mine, or it seems like they have even less experience than me and yet they were able to get to this role and be successful. And that kind of makes me, it's so annoying, but it makes me feel good because if they can do it, I can do it. And it just gives me that confidence to try.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. As you mentioned, one of the things that you've had the pleasure of is working with or at some of the these companies like Google and Microsoft and a handful of others. And naturally, these are all very popular companies for MBA students. And so I would love to know from your Experience. What What are some of the things you've noticed of maybe successful people who have been able to succeed in these types of companies? And when I say these types of companies, I, the what I, the lens I'm looking at through this is, with is number one, they're very much innovative, right, in terms of at some degree on the cutting edge of technology. Number two, at this point, they're both big in to varying degrees. But I'm just curious from your perspective, having worked in those environments, what are some of the things that you've seen people who have been successful? Like, what are those characteristics or traits that they have that you think enable them to achieve that level of success?
1: Yeah, funny enough, I got into Microsoft relatively early, uh, relatively late, sorry. I think it was after seven or eight years of a career. So I didn't start there. I built Mm -hmm. my reputation first. I got the experience First, so that I can actually get there. Same goes for Google. That was even later. I think for those type of companies, because they're so big, you actually need to be a little bit more of an expert. So you need to have more deep knowledge of what you're doing to be successful, especially in marketing, because you're going to have a very specific ownership of one thing to do, as opposed to if you work for a startup, you get to do a lot of different things, wear a lot of different hats. So what I saw make people very successful is one, really mastering their own craft and being very good at what they do but also knowing how to collaborate really well and how to do stakeholder management. With this type of company, this big, you really need to understand people and build relationships. Otherwise, there's no way that you're actually going to move up the ladder.
0: I think that's a great insight. And I would agree also having worked mostly with big companies, I think expertise does matter because to your point at that size, everyone has a lane and they're relying on you to be in your lane and to do it extremely well. And I think a lot of that comes from execution and a lot of it comes from expertise. And to your point, I think it, particularly in big companies, it you, you there isn't really a role or function anymore that works by itself. I think you can make the argument that maybe sales is a little bit like that, but I would think if you talk to most salespeople today, they'll tell you straight up that they have a team or they rely on, particularly with companies like Microsoft, where you have such a broad um, product portfolio, it's impossible to know a lot of times every single product in the bag. And so you absolutely rely on a team. And in a big company, I do think you have to rely, be able to play nice in the sandbox and, and work well with others. And then certainly there are just some roles. I, th- I would argue some parts of marketing, particularly product marketing, being one of them, where not only is it important to play nice with others in a sandbox in a big company, but also in that role. Like it's, so, it's, you just really have to have that. So I think that's I think that's really important. But one thing I have been thinking about too is I think about invaluable, or even I think about this idea of the owner's mentality. That example you gave in terms of what you were able to do in the small travel agency where. You wrote down those ideas and you presented them to your manager. And then he was like, okay, now you're the manager. Do you think those lessons can still apply within the context of a very large organization or how does that, is it the similar, how is it different? Knowing that as you, you, as we were just talking about big companies might be a little bit different than per se, maybe some smaller ones.
1: Yeah, I definitely think it still applies, but I think the execution might look a little bit different. Mm-hmm. So you probably wouldn't think in terms of the whole company, it's mm-hmm. impossible. Yeah. I'm not sure Satya Adela thinks about Fair. that every single day on his sure. own. So I really think it's about understanding your own business unit and sure. your own team and doing the same in that specific context. And the more that you engage with people, the more you build a relationship, the more receptive they will be for ideas that are a little bit out of the box and maybe don't necessarily sit within your job description. I will, however, say there's more politics to sure. handle. So you really have to be careful not to step on anyone's toes.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's a really good point. And that is definitely some something sometimes I do have conversations with students about or professionals about is this idea of 100% agree with you in terms of you have to take ownership of your career You can't leave that to someone else. But at the same time, being able to, whether it's right or not, sometimes your manager has expectations or beliefs of you or what they think you should be doing. And sometimes they can be aligned and sometimes they may not be, right? And finding ways to manage that, I think a lot of it does come down to the nuance and the messaging around it and how you approach the conversation. But I do sometimes know it can be difficult, particularly in large organizations where For example, I think about consulting firms, and part of this reason why I think about this is because I lived through this myself. Part of their ability to succeed is by having this next person up mentality of knowing that if they were to parachute you into a new project and you never worked with anyone before, they would still have the confidence that you would be able to deliver. Part of the reason they can do that is because of how they hire, but part of it is also they have some guidelines and expectations for what they believe someone at your level Kind of needs to look like, needs to act, needs to operate like. And so sometimes if you feel like you want to go in a different direction, that can be extremely difficult, right? Because on one hand, they will tell you when you come to the firm, like you need to own your career. But on the other hand, there's also this layered of expectations that they need to have in order to be able to do what they need to do to deliver to a client, and so one of the things that I often would have conversations with other consultants who are more junior when I was at Deloitte was how, like, how do I manage? Like, they're telling me to own my career, but then when I say I want to, I want to work on consumer products projects or I want to work on healthcare projects, they're like, oh, okay, manage your career, but not like that. And and so just that sometimes that agency and that challenge of like, how do you do that within a larger organization?
1: Yeah, that, that's very true. I think the key here is two things. One, it's something that you need to, you first need to build trust, Mm -hmm. especially with your manager, Mm -hmm. you need to first demonstrate that you can do your job and you can do it well and have them trust you and your process. Yeah, And then I think you need to take baby steps. You can't yeah. just come and say, Hey, I know I'm doing communications right now, but starting tomorrow, I want to do product marketing. Right. No, you yeah. go yeah. to the product marketing team and you figure out what they're struggling with and what they, they don't have enough manpower to do, even though it's the stupidest thing in the world and you do it for them on your spare time. And then you do it again and then you take something else and then you build skills so that you can actually demonstrate that you can drive results. So for example, for me, when I worked for Microsoft, initially my job was more around communications. And I did that work with communications, but I figured there's actually a better way to get the results we are trying to achieve. So I came up with an idea and I tested it. I did something really small, like one small project, and it had a great result. So I went back to my manager and said, hey, I know I'm supposed to do more PR and thought leadership, but this video actually drove double the awareness of everything we did in a full month. So I think we should spend more time here. Here's the plan. I already came up with a plan. Here's the budget. And I'm still going to spend 50% of my time on what you actually want me to do. And it was a really easy yes, because who wouldn't want to say yes to something that will get you better results with the same person you hired without having to go out and get an agency or get someone
0: new. Uh, thank you for sharing that story. I think that's a great example. And to your point, if you have a track record of delivering, that is a great way to not only win you trust, but also to open up doors for other opportunities. Because to your point, who doesn't want someone who can deliver a 2x result or 3x result or 10x result on something? It certainly gives you a lot more credibility to open up new opportunities when you have a proven track record of doing just that. One thing I want to hit on before we close, and I'd love to know, because now that you've had you know, a career and or are having a career, I should say, and that you've written a book about career development and career advice, I would love to know from your kind of experience and from your perspective, what's the most important lesson or career lesson that you've learned to date from all of your years of, of experience?
1: Oh, wow. There are a lot of tactical things, but I think what really allowed me to develop the right mindset is to really understand that I am not my job. Mm. I am a lot more than that. I used to believe I am my job. I am my title. Mm. So if I didn't have the best title, then I wasn't good enough. Mm -hmm. And if something went wrong at work, my entire day or week will be completely devastated. Mm -hmm. And it's just not healthy because we are so much more than our job it's okay to like your job it's okay to get motivation from it but it's not everything that you are and once i was able to make that separation Mm -hmm. i made better decisions because i didn't make them solely based on emotion and i was able to be more resilient in the workplace and take feedback better and implement it and i wish it happened sooner, but it took me some time to really trust myself and understand that I'm more than what I do.
0: That's great. I think that's a, such an important lesson. And I, as someone who cares very much about their career and wanting to be the best new version of myself when I show up to work every day, I think it's a really important lesson to keep in mind. The There's so much to life in addition to your career, or there's so much to life outside of your career that is valuable and and important. So I'm I'm glad you brought that up. Um, Maya, thank you so much for joining me today and for coming on to talk about invaluable and some of the other career lessons you've learned along the way. It's been a great conversation. I would love to know if people want to learn more about you or engage with you, or even just get your book, where can they find you or where where should they go?
1: Yeah. So I'm on LinkedIn, Maya Grossman. You can always connect with me or go to mayagrossman.com. You'll find out everything you need to know about the book and you'll see a lot of my content.